Welcome everyone to another episode of The Decided Heart Effect. We just had a seriously good time having a chat before recording. What a wonderful episode this is going to be. We invite you every week to take action and be inspired to live with a decided heart. My name is Sonia and I have my amazing co-host here, Hillary. We're in person. <laughs> and we are joined today by um, Albie Calvo and Andrea Kohlberg, identical twins who come to us with stories about resilience. They have walked a journey of becoming, get this, world champion athletes, former University of Texas cheerleaders, global entrepreneurs, Olympic torch bearer, cancer survivor, speakers, TV spokesperson, an actress, and then finally mentors and personal growth coaches around the world. While their most proud title is moms of confident and happy young adults, yes, they also worked with thousands of teens, coaches, young athletes, and their families around the world to help them overcome their obstacles, grow their confidence, and elevate their performance in all areas of their lives uh, with their latest company, Lead Love Legacy. Oh my gosh. I felt like I've traveled around the world actually. Yeah, just in that. I know, are you exhausted? Hold on, just a minute. Jet lag, jet lag. Jet lag. Jet lag. It happens, so jet lag. Fun. So thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you for having us. It's a delight, a delight, a delight. Oh, we, so Lead Love Legacy right away just spoke to our hearts when we saw that name. Can you tell our audience a little bit about what it is that Lead Love Legacy does and how that name came to be? Well, it's all about leading boldly, loving deeply, and living your legacy out loud on purpose in a way not only that serves you personally, but that serves the people around you and creates the impact for good. And everything we do at Lead Love Legacy, which we can talk about today, is focused on that prime goal, building that in everyone's life. And I really don't think, I mean, you can't, in my personal opinion, true leadership comes by leading with your heart, leading with love first. And so I just love the combination of words together because loving is not a soft skill, right? It's a necessary skill for the rest of it to unfold. How did you come to this point though in the first place? I mean, we talk about the decided heart effect, that moment that you make a choice in your life, a decision to have a larger impact. And for each of you, I don't know if you found it together, if you each had an individual moment. And of course, we have several throughout life, but we would love to have you tell our audience a little bit about maybe that moment or a moment in your life where things changed and you knew that a bigger impact was meant to happen. Well, I can, I can have a conversation about it. And it was before I was able to make the conscious decision for what we would call the decided heart moment. And that is when Allie and I were born, we were born nearly three months premature. We weighed two pounds each. The doctor said, these babies are never going to live through the night. And they read our last rites and they waited for us to die. And obviously it's been a long night and we didn't die. But one of the complications that happened was a nurse took me out of the incubator when I was a day old and I turned blue. So she put me back in the incubator, turned up the oxygen so I could recover meant to leave it for a few minutes and forgot about it for 18 days. And those 18 days created 
damage to the retina, the, the retina, the, the lining in the backside of your eyeball. Um, it's called retinopathy prematurity, and it's a severe visual impairment in my case. So quite limited 2400 vision in my left eye. My right eye for my whole life has been very, very little, maybe a little bit of light perception. And about eight years ago, I lost that eye. It just was no longer sustainable. So now my right eye, this one here, is a prosthesis. So when you have a moment like that, you know from the earliest memory that you have a choice and you can walk around life being mad or you can walk around life being grateful for what you have. You can walk around life being blind or you can walk around life being visionary. And I had the people around me and every day I choose to be visionary. That's a decision, that's a decided heart moment that happens over and over and over based on one moment. I, I, I'm so sorry, but I have to, like every time, I, every single time I have read that as we were prepping for you or just hearing your voice do it, I have to just express that like my heart just like tightens, but with, with like the knowing of, of truth. And my, like, I can feel my eyes, eyes start to water because the idea, you know, I, I, we've said it before, a victim or hero mentality, but I think being blind literally mm -hmm. or being a visionary, I mean, these are choices, they're choices. And, and people so often think that they, you know, they're passive in their own lives and it just resonates. So sorry, I just had to, for a second, like call that out and say, wow, that just resonates is so oh, true for sure and then before we get to Andrea's story I feel too that the people around you were so important in understanding your own story so you know you didn't know consciously what your story really was right you were kind of living it like oh I guess I'm born this way and you know the story is being told to you and right well I a lot of us forget that, that. so yeah. a lot of us are so busy in our circumstances we you know we we're so busy trying to survive that we forget how to live. And a lot of times it's literally because we forgot that we have the choice of what that looks like mm -hmm. in our Absolutely. own lives. And then the decision to decide which stories to accept and then which stories to say that does not belong to me, <laughs> right? Yes. You feel sorry for me, that's your story, not my story. Yes, oh, I like that perspective. I like the way you phrase that mm -hmm. uh, because that is accurate. So Andrea, what about what about you? This is Allie. <laughs> Allie's turn. <laughs> Everybody does it. It's all good. We're twins. Away. It's happened our entire life. It's okay. <laughs> and I was just gonna say, from the twin. From the, yeah. <laughs> from the twin. You totally understand. Well, I, I, my decided heart moment, and as you mentioned, I mean, for me, the biggest. Thing I will preface is that our decided heart moments are happening all the time. But I'll point out one in particular that was particularly life-changing for me. And it was because I had already been equipped from some of the skills that I had gleaned from watching Andrea grow up and growing up side by side with her. And that is when we were older, uh, say middle school-ish, our father our parents got a divorce and our father not only left and abandoned us, he went to a court of law and went out of his way to sign relinquishment for us and our four brothers. So there's six kids and our dad completely rejected and abandoned us um, 
in that capacity. And of course, in your junior high years in particular, there are a lot of moments where you you could have, we could have chosen, I'm the victim, I'm not lovable, even my own dad doesn't want me. Uh, what did I do to cause this? So there was all of this stuff, of course, happening throughout those years. And there's a lot of work that has to happen personally so that you can really um, understand the real meaning of that, that that was about him and not about any of the, our, ourselves, his children. But there was a one decided moment that happened many years later when we hadn't spoken in many, many years. I was about to graduate from college at the time. And on Father's Day, out of the blue, I got a phone call from our biological dad who had abandoned us. And he called and he had this conversation with me in his own tears saying, yeah, you know, you didn't call me on Father's Day. Well, that's okay, because I haven't called you ever on Father's Day since you, you ditched us, we didn't ditch you. But there was this moment where he was kind of giving me this really sad um, story and he was realizing what he did. And I didn't know he was calling. I couldn't prepare for him what was about to happen. But this incredible calm came over me in this one phone call. And I was able to say, you know what, dad? I've worked really hard to get where I am in this moment. And I was probably about 22 years old, maybe 21 at the time. And he said, I said, you know, I want you to own that you've done some really, really bad stuff. And we went through some really hard stuff, not just poverty, but a lot of other hard stuff. And here I am. And I have now a stepdad who is my dad. He's amazing. And at the time I had a boyfriend who eventually is now, is now my husband. But I said, I have a boyfriend who is gonna be an amazing dad and, and father to me one day. I'm about to graduate from college and I'm gonna go make something of my life. I was able to do all of that despite what you did to us. And I love you because you're my dad and I forgive you. I also don't wanna have anything else to do with you anymore. I don't wanna go backwards, but I forgive you. And that decided heart moment was really important because that's where I totally and completely understood that forgiveness isn't for everybody. It was for me in that moment. And it didn't release him of the things he did. It just released me of the weight that I had allowed over time. And so that moment comes up very frequently because people in all of our lives will always do, do us wrong, either inadvertently or not. Hard things are always going to happen. Challenges will always happen. And forgiveness and the ability to forgive as a gift to yourself is has been such a big moment in my life. And I think the grittiness and, and the compassion that comes through that largely was built on how we grew up. I I love that. And as a as a skill, it's so powerful. It takes so much courage and compassion and I have about 15 different conversations that are going on in my head right now that I want to go down because I'm like, ooh, in the gym, blah, blah, blah. But y'all didn't know this was an eight-hour podcast. Seriously, seriously. It's I feel like it's gonna be a, a series. Yeah, right? Like really, it's it's I'm writing it in my head. Um, but one of the things that I think have you have either of you read the book, The Book of Joy, that's by the Dalai Lama and Desmond Tutu. I've not, I, I've read lots of books about joy, but not that specific one. You do yourself, do yourself a favor. It's basically, I mean, imagine these two old, cute, amazing, remarkable men getting together and then being asked questions about joy. And then they just go, but they said something about 
forgiveness that just really strongly resonated with what you just said. It, it is the gift we give ourselves. And, and um, I believe it was the Dalai Lama who said, we have three choices with forgiveness. We can forgive and then it's, it's done and we, and we move past. We can forgive, but there are things that have to happen for them to earn their way back into a trusted situation. And you forgive as a gift to yourself, but then you say, but you're not welcome in my life anymore. And that still is forgiveness, but it's not sucking up the energy and taking that the anger can deplete you and move you off the course that you're meant. And look at how can you show up in love if you're consumed with the anger? A hundred percent. And that's why it's so freeing. You know, that's, that's what opened us up to have a dad that we love as our dad. That's what opened us up to the relationships that we have now. That's what shaped us as parents ourselves. It shaped us as entrepreneurs. It shaped our relationship as sisters. It has shaped every single thing. And so not only did the, was the forgiveness freeing, but the journey to get there was also very freeing and so important. It's so important to have the gratitude for the hard stuff. It's so important to go, you know what, that was, that was not easy, but (laughs) where we are, we have the context now where we came out of that and, and the next challenge, we got this. You know, it's so, I'm just the, the celebration that, you know, I'm thinking about timeline and you were in your young twenties and, and everything that you two have accomplished individually and together um, the avo- I think what I'm settling with the advocacy that you've discovered so early and that that conversation you've had where you you really told this other person, you need to own this at 22. At 22. <laughs> Sorry, but- I mean, so much courage in, in finding that that voice and that self advocacy. And, you know, when you say freeing, I could totally get it. I can we can see it. We can mm-hmm. see it on everything that you guys have done in your lives. And, you know, one thing that you we want to talk about today is this word resilience. Mm. And, you know, you you both didn't really have a choice. Like, well, you did. You had a choice. And, and I'm talking about the context that you were sure. born in. There's no choice in that. You, know, you were given the environment and the people that you were given, but the choice of, of building this resilience. So I wanted to talk about a little bit, because you say something about it being a skill. Yes. By definition, resilience is a skill, and that means we can always work on it. We can always improve on it. We can always teach different strategies and one resilient method might work for you versus what works for me. And I think as sisters, Andrew, Andrew, you'll tell them about how we were so competitive with each other, but in a good way. Well, we were competitive with each other, but in, in terms of resilience, I think one of the things that really matters is that once you know resilience, you have the authority to, to teach others resilience. And I think that was the case with our mom. And that's the case with how we became resilient because we had a mom who is, first of all, she's just a, a solid rock. And, you know, she's for, for a long period of time, she was in a traumatic situation with six kids. And I remember when we were young, um, she would have these note cards where she divided up all of the household tasks. And so she would hand out like your, the blue card was, you know, wipe off the kitchen counters or load the dishwasher. The green card was, you know, vacuum or whatever. Well, I did not want the pink card. Nobody wanted the nobody pink card, wanted but the especially Andrea. I did not want the pink card because bathroom, the pink bathroom. Card, no, it was, 
it should have been. That should have been, been the most traumatic thing for me because we had four boys in the house. So yeah. let's be honest. Yes. Sorry, sorry. However, that's just the truth. However, the card I really didn't want was pink because that meant we had to sweep the kitchen floor. Now, sweeping the kitchen floor for a lot of people is mm, it's okay. It's not. It's not. You know, it's kind of lies between folding laundry and putting it away. Like at some point, eh. but for blind people. I don't want to have to sweep invisible dirt. I mean, come on, people, let's not, let's not, like, that's really what it was. And so my mom would give me the pink card anyway, even though I didn't feel equipped, she would give it to me anyway. And I would sweep the floor and I learned to do it kind of in a pattern and little, like a little grid. So I would make sure that I got all the surface area. And I am positive that I did a terrible job of sweeping the kitchen floor, but she held me accountable. <laughs> to do something that felt impossible and frustrating to me because she knew that one day I would grow up and have my own house and have to take care of these things and be empowered for the independence. But then later on, she, so I would, I would sweep the floor and then I'd go to bed at night and later on I would hear her sweeping the kitchen floor. Now, parents, we can all attest to the fact that it is easier to do the job yourself than it is to equip your kids the long way around and and have to teach them to learn it. But my mom gave me those tools that eventually when I'm held accountable and when there's a responsibility to participate in the family obligations, regardless of whether I was good at it, regardless of whether I felt equipped for it, regardless of whether I was going to be an expert sweeper of floors in my lifetime, she still held me accountable for it. And that gave me the confidence to be resilient enough to find a way forward in all things forward that mattered way more than a kitchen floor. That's where that resilience comes from. The patterns of accountability, the patterns of expectation, the patterns that I will rise to those things. And, and guys, listen, you don't have to be blind to learn resilience that way. You don't have to have my specific challenges. Everybody has a story. Everybody has a circumstance. Everybody has a, a speed bump in their life. So all of us can learn resilience. And the gift of resilience is that you get to give it to someone else once you know it. I love hearing this idea behind the story, the resilience. It's funny, we had a guest who once said, we aren't our story, we're the lessons we learn from our stories. And that's what I'm hearing from you. But I, okay, the mom in me right now is saying, can we go back to that accountability thing? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And, and can you, right? Yes. And can you share a little bit about what does that look like? What does accountability look like? Well, I think the first component of accountability is that we build the authority within ourselves to hold others accountable. So if you're the parent, for example, that has, let's say you have a, a young child who's maybe three years old and they're learning to play outside and you don't want them to go in the street that's a dangerous place to be in the street. And they start toddling towards the street and you're sitting comfortably chatting with the neighbors and you say, okay, Susie, sorry to everybody named Susie. This is just <laughs> the example name. Okay, Susie, don't go in the street. And here's Susie toddling to the street and you go, I'm gonna count to three, one, one and a half, one and three quarter. And by the time you're like, forget, you're like two and seven, eight. <laughs> Yeah. You've lost your authority, my friends. So as you create the modeled example, you also have to be willing as a parent to take the action mm. for accountability. Therefore, there is a trust element between you and your child or whoever you're leading in this case. Maybe you're a coach leading an athlete. 
there's a trust element that not only is accountability expected, I'll have accountability for myself to get up out of my chair and physically teach my child, okay, we're really going to move. We're really going to divert this activity. I'm really going to keep you safe. There's really a reason for my actions. It's not just me controlling you. It's me keeping you safe because I love you and I care for you and you need to learn that accountability. So by the time they get older, there's a routine of accountability in this house or in this environment, accountability is not only an expectation, it's empowerment for the person who knows how to be accountable for themselves. To be able to look in the mirror and own your own steps, good or bad or anything in between, to be accountable for your own actions, that's huge power. That's That changes every relationship you have, that changes your success in academics, it changes your success in friendships, it changes your sex, success in marriage and your career. It's a total game changer and accountability can start when they're very, very young. I think also too, accountability is difficult for a lot of parents because it also unequivocally involves a parent watching their kids suffer the consequence when they don't get it right. And that's hard for a parent to do, but it's also very important uh, to happen. You know, it, it could be as basic as, oh, mom, I forgot my lunch today. Stop driving that lunch to school. Like, let them figure it out. Uh, all of, it you know what? That's a good example. That. That's a good example because we know, I know a lot of people that did that, but my kids knew because I can't see to drive. They knew yeah. that they didn't, shouldn't even bother to ask. So <laughs> when the expectation, and it wasn't like, I mean, yeah, you can, you can get a friend to bring it. No, they never would have even thought to ask because their circumstances in their life knew they had not, didn't have that option. But if they did have that option, I can guarantee you they would have asked two or three or four times until I said no enough. So I think what's important is that once we know there's a boundary of accountability and once we know that I better show up with my lunch or my homework and the consequence of which is gonna be that my mom is not gonna bring it to me, rather it's on purpose or not, that's the situation they survived and they are college senior and sophomore guys and they didn't have their lunch i'm sure a couple of times and they forgot (laughs) their homework a couple of times and guess what they were so accountable to that that they lived to go to college (laughs) no i so my my so my twin sister and i were raised by our single father um my parents got divorced when we were seven and we were uh my sister and i had to be left alone my father is from germany that's all i have to say and but he created these rituals it was all anchored on accountability. And I think the, the word accountability now has this negative connotation mm. like obedience. And that's not what it is. Um, <laughs> so he would say, girls, and we're like, yes, Papa, you know, I have electrical, he's a maintenance mechanic. I have electrical tape on this time. And we look at the time. I'm going to give you one call. You're going to hear two rings. The second ring pick up. It was so mechanical. And what, what, what that, this is like sweeping the floor kind of thing. Yeah. And what that accountability and the ritual and the routine is because you know we're going to move on to like this idea of uncertainty yes it was so uncertain i'm sure my dad was freaking out how am i going to raise these 20 girls and i have to leave them alone how do i make them feel safe sure we moved from we should do this because to we are able to do this Mm -hmm. we are capable of doing these things and so when you practice that skill over and over and over again, which is resilience, you're not a shooting person. You're not like, oh, I should, I could, I would. You're like, I am able, I'm capable, I'm taking action. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that's to me, is like the ultimate reward, right? Of that yeah. resilience and the accountability. It's trusting yourself. 
right? Yeah. It's trusting yourself. And, and it's funny because as you develop that, and I have to say, I think my resilience came later in life, but it was, it's interesting. Somebody now will ask me, well, are you scared about that new thing? Are you, and I'm like, no, I've got it. I might not, it might not work out the first time, but I trust now that I'll figure it out. Yes. And the research shows that if you're willing to go towards that new thing, if you're willing to embrace that new thing, that's where success lies. The most successful people in the world, the greatest world leaders and the happiest people in the world throughout the studies show that they can do what you just talked about. They will see a new opportunity, embark on a new opportunity that's scary uh, and puts you in a vulnerable position and they will run to that with absolute confidence that there's opportunity there instead of, oh my goodness, what might happen? How could it go wrong? What if I fail? What, what, what might other people think? And there's so much beauty in that. And, and Sonia, I know you, you talked just a, a moment ago about how uncertainty plays into resiliency. And that's one of the things that I'll share with you is that especially right now, especially when we're going through a pandemic where everybody kept saying, this is unprecedented. And, and there were a lot of things unprecedented about a pandemic, of course, but the uncertainty part of it, the I don't know what's next part of it, none of that is new. We've never had a crystal ball, but here's the difference for the people in our generation versus the younger generation that we are responsible for building up in a better place than we were brought up in. This is something that I think is really important for them to understand. You and I and the four of us have a context. We've been through hard stuff. We've gotten through hard stuff. The context is, yes, we can do that. We've been there and look how much stronger we got. Yay, us. Mm -hmm. But the younger generation doesn't have the same experience or context necessarily. I mean, we all have a different experience, but to be able to embrace that with compassion, but the accountability that we just talked about and teaching them and empowering them how to use that personal responsibility, how to bring in some work ethic, how to bring in the empathy. Those are the three pillars that we teach in. How to bring in those components to build your resilience. That is the most empowering thing. So yes, you can get through this hard stuff. You can get through school being shut down. You can get through missing your friends. You can get through even crisis moments because you as the parent have a context to be able to teach and model that specific skill. The unprecedentedness and the uncertaintyness isn't new and that's a good thing. That's something we heard from, we had a, we had a speaker, Alan Stein Jr. was on, do you know Alan from, he's, okay, so he's a, yeah, he's a basketball um, coach and, and speaker as well. And he said the same thing. And I remember, I remember us interviewing and like, oh, we have this light bulb. So when you, when, when we were talking this through earlier, I was like, yeah, why have I never thought of that before? Because he, he said, he's like, life has always been uncertain. I'm like, wait, why have I been coming up with all these excuses this year for I'll, <laughs> I'll do it when I know what's happening next. I've never known what was happening next. Like, but you know what? That's a great example of a moment where you are accountable to yourself. You went, ah, I'm going to course correct. Course correction is accountability where you looked in the mirror and went, ah, I haven't thought of it that way. Good point. Own it. And now you have shaped your perspective. So great example of accountability for yourself on that one. Oh, 
Thank you. <laughs> See, I wasn't just an idiot in that moment. No, sorry. <laughs> no, you got Not this. You got this. I, think, I think what's important, a lot of us miss those teachable moments. And, you know, I know you're joking about that term, but a lot of us miss that and yeah. you captured it. And I think that takes, it, it, it takes a, a willingness to be accountable for who you are and where you've been and where you want to go next. The, the, you use the word teachable moments and that's a word that's such a love language word for, for both of us because we talk about that when we've talked in front of parents before as well. If you want to watch everybody's face go white, you say, stop stealing your kids' teachable moments. Absolutely. And they all go, oh, what? And we said, I know you're trying to be kind, but it's actually selfish. You're now making it about you. You're the hero. You saved the day and you've not allowed them to become the heroes of their own story. And when you are, I mean, I see, I know you work so much with youth as well. And I want to hear a little more, but we want to hear a little bit more about that. But also, you know, is this a message that you are also delivering to parents? Do you do both? Yeah, that's such a good question. We actually were just talking about this and you will get the actual sneak peek first reveal of what's coming. <laughs> Did you even know? Well, you couldn't yeah, you possibly just, know this. You definitely opened the can of worms. So, so we'll talk about <laughs> Well, talk, we've got an amazing uh, mentorship program called Elevate that is for teens. You talked about um, us, our work with, and that's uh, that's our new mentorship program. And we'll, we'll talk about that in a minute. But the next thing that's coming is Elevate Mentorship for Parents. And here's why. Uh, this whole growing up thing is really hard. But guess what? This whole parenting thing is really hard. And so Andrew and I actually had personal experience with this one uh, over the past several years because our kids are either in college or about to be in college. And so every year there was a, a, one of our kids was a senior in high school. We would watch this entire group of senior parents who were about to fly the nest, either go to college or go out into the real world. And these parents were freaking out. They were literally grieving that their kids were leaving. They were literally, they were worried. Oh my gosh, looking back, did I do enough to your point earlier? And so in our, our reflection and initially when the, when the oldest was going off, we kept, we were perplexed. We were a little confused and we went, why are these parents so sad? I mean, I'm going to miss my kid, but they're, we're not preparing for them to die and go off. We shouldn't be grieving right now. We're preparing for them to go live. And this is what we've been building them for. This is, this is why we know they're equipped. They have had accountability. They have learned personal responsibility that we've taught them work ethic. We've modeled everything that we can. We, we made them learn how to balance a budget and be financially responsible. We made them fill out forms at the doctor's office when we went, if they had to make the appointment, they had to call and yes, do make the things. appointment, yep. all of those things and do the laundry and all mm -hmm. that stuff. So if you are equipping your kids as you grow and you're not, as you mentioned, hovering and protecting them with everything you do and doing that disservice, by the time they become 18 years old and they're leaving the house, you as a parent get to celebrate that they have not only learned to equip themselves and be independent, but the most important thing they've learned is that they've learned that they can learn. They've learned that if they don't know how to do something or how to approach something, that it's okay, they can go figure it out. And they can, mm -hmm. yes, they can call you and yes, you can give advice and all of those things, 
but they don't have this overwhelming need for mommy and daddy to come to the rescue all the time and they can advocate for themselves. Do you know what? I'm going to give a bonus points to the parents that <laughs> you, you might not even see this one coming, but you were saying, don't take the moments away. I forget your exact phrasing. So I don't want to get it right. don't, don't, don't take, take the teachable, teachable moments, moments away. away. And you, you use the, the term selfish. So if I take a teachable moment away, <clears throat> excuse me, from my kids, then they don't get the opportunity to learn. Now that's harder in short term. That's hard for me because I don't want to watch them suffer. I don't want to watch them in pain. That's painful to me. But in giving your kids the gift of that teachable moment, short term, you give yourself as a parent the coolest gift when they fly the nest that you're like, ha, oh, freedom, because <laughs> everybody is super excited and you can enjoy those moments free of stress because you know their joy is your joy. And that's what love looks like out, out loud. And so you are giving yourself a gift. You're not giving it right away. It's like when you go to the gym, it's going to be hard for you for a minute, but over time you feel stronger and fitter and, and, and you live a longer life. This is what it is with your children. It might be hard to let them fall down, but hello, bonus. When they go to college, this is fun. Like my kids, in fact, they are living the life just now. I mean, what I'm about four weeks into the empty nest. So because my son stayed home one year, one extra year because the pandemic and everybody's online. So that's fine. But four weeks ago, I moved into, I'm a single parent. So I moved into my own space by myself and my kids are off to the nest. They are 19 and 21 years old and they are about to be three or four states away. I mean, they're going to be in Georgia and I'm in Texas and I'm happy and we're <laughs> close and we love each other and it's super fabulous, but their joy, this is their dream brings me joy because I'm comfortable. Cause we did the hard stuff earlier. I just, this is my, this is my passion work here. I mean, I've been in higher education for so long. I've been a college counselor. So I've seen <clears> that <throat> rites of passage, the transition I've seen repeated over and over and over again. And it's so interesting in terms of this accidental codependency mm-hmm. where we hung, we hung on as parents too tight. And then all of a sudden this rites of passage comes like, oh, you're supposed to do something by yourself. Good luck. And then they come home and there's confusion. And this is why Decided Hearts is so important to, to our work, to my work personally, For is sure. that we've treated experiences as silos. Where as a young person, this is your experience, mm-hmm. especially the teens, you know, with their brain. <laughs> like, oh, this going to college or whatever path after high school, that's this is my decision. This is I'm independent now. It's all about me. And as a society, we almost bought into that. But what I want to pause, like time out, is that yes, we do the work of love on our own because the next step is unity. Because that sense of belonging, how we connect with the people who've raised us. In our new environment, we call it college, how we're going to build that sense of community, you know, that of people we don't know, that is, that is human, that's a human nature. So we don't live as silos for, for the rest of our lives. Nope. And the parent work to me is absolutely important. I always tell the teen, oh, you cannot go through this process of planning after high school without your village, without your family members. And the joy is that how do we, bec- we being parents, lifelong mentors, where we're enjoying them, they're coming back to us when they need, yeah. because mm-hmm. of that trust, and there's no codependency. Like, I think as parents, that's probably what we dream of, right? Rather than, oh my gosh, will my kid go to college? <laughs> so minor, 
It's yeah, so yeah. minor. So I'm celebrating that you have the teen program elevate and then the new one we just found out. I know. Parents. So I thank know. you. Yes. yes. But, but we do, I want to hear about, I agree a hundred percent agree. And, and we need to have you back and talk about that when it's fully unveiled because I'm so excited, yes. but tell us about the teen program. Elevate is, uh, it's elevate with the number eight at the end. And that's mm-hmm. because every eight weeks we sit down with you one-on-one or I should say two-on-one, you get a two-for-one special. Right? <laughs> uh, Andrew and I meet with, with the teen participating every eight weeks. And that is so we can literally measure, look where you were, look where you were struggling, look where you were dreaming and everything in between and look how far you've come. And so there are measurable moments every eight weeks. So we'll meet with the teen one-on-one right out of the gates. It's the very first thing that we do to establish a baseline. And then we go through a, uh, every week we meet with the group um, with like-minded peers and we work with behavioral science-based and experience-based really curriculum. We work in three pillars. We work specifically, as I mentioned earlier, in work ethic, empathy, and personal responsibility. Now there's a lot of things that go in those three pillars. We talk about confidence and resilience and uh, advocating for yourself. We talk about just basic life skills, but we also are really big on making the Elevate program very personal. So we have individual office hours where you might pop in and say, it's a Tuesday at two o'clock and uh, you had the, the camera on. And so I wanted to pop in and tell you, I had a trouble with my friend group yesterday. How can we talk about what we did on the Zoom session last week and apply that strategy and what we learned to my everyday right now. I'm struggling uh, with my parents. And this is this is really important that I want to bring this up because a lot of our parents will ask us, well, if you're mentoring my teen and they bring up me or the argument we had, are you going to take sides? Are you going to tell them that I'm right? And so let me just be really, really clear on that. Number one, we don't pick sides, but we will advocate for your relationship, yes. not for what's right. Not, we're not going to, we're going to advocate for them to be able to navigate with you in a way that elevates your relationship and brings you closer together. If that happens to be what they're bringing to the table. And a lot of times you guys have great relationships and you have a really good team who can be a great high performing team and just is stuck for a couple of reasons. But all of the conversations we have in the Elevate program come from a place where, man, this is what I wish I would have known when I was 14 to 19 years old, which is the age group that we're working with. Um, And so it's highly, highly personal, especially because we combine individual sessions with group sessions, uh, and it allows a really safe space for kids to navigate through and equip themselves for what's next. Well, and the psychological safety component of that is really important to us. So we also, not only will we not be having conversations, hey, mom and dad, this is what your kid said today. What we will do is keep the parents involved to a level in a specific parent portal. So the parents can log in and see, hey, this week we're talking about resilience or this week we're talking about personal accountability. And here's some things that you can do to help your child understand it. But we're not going to be sharing all of the information. We're going to be, as Ali said, advocating for the relationship between the two. And it's incredibly powerful when your voice matters so much and everyone in the group is part of the, that elevate family can lift you up because that also is a teachable skill. How do you lift someone out and how do you accept that and receive that and then take action on it? So some really critical components that are there. Yep. 
I want to honor both of you so much for, again, not only having decided hearts individually, having decided hearts together, joining that together, but then also the DH effect, the fact that you're impacting so many people around you, not just your families, but the, the students that you work with, the teens that you work with, the parents that you work with and beyond. Thank you so much. And, and I feel like we have only scratched the surface of there's so much more there. So how can our, our listeners get a hold of you, check you out, learn more, follow you? You can. You, it's, I'm going to make it super easy for you. You can go to leadlovelegacy.com. All of our social feeds and social uh, components are on the top right of that page. And you can also see the Elevate program and all of the other courses that we offer directly from that homepage. Now, but I will say this, while we're launching Elevate, we have a special going on that's a, that's a $7 14 day trial. After that, it's a monthly fee. You can pop in when you want, you can pop out if you want, no problem. But what I love about the seven day trial is the very first thing we do is have that one-on-one session with you. And so that gives you a really, really good idea. Um, while while space lasts, I want to say that because we're, we're launching, but um, all of that is on the website and you'll be able to see it. Once again, it's leadlovelegacy.com. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us. And thank you. Absolutely welcome. And thank you for your mission as well, because we resonate certainly with the impact that you guys are making as well. Thank you. Thank you. Well, this is, this is just the beginning. This is the beginning of the conversation. We will be definitely in touch and, and advocating for the work that you do as well. And thank you to our audience for joining us this week and every week for the DH effect. We hope that you found something to inspire you so that you can take action in your own life. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel and Apple Podcasts or Spotify or anywhere you listen to your podcasts. Connect with us on Facebook and Instagram and make sure that you go ahead and get a hold of these beautiful, phenomenal women at Lead Love Legacy. Get a hold of either of us personally as well for counseling or coaching. And until next time, may you find the courage to have a decided heart.